Welcome, everyone, to the seventh episode of Interversal Podcast, where every episode merges psychology with another subject. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing psychology and spiciness. And I'm very excited to introduce hot sauce entrepreneur Jack Jamgochian, the CEO of Rugged Jacks. Jack, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Jack Jamgochian, founder and creator of Rugged Jacks Hot Sauce. I am an engineer by day and a hot sauce entrepreneur by night. And I launched Rugged Jack's Hot Sauce uh, in 2020, right after the pandemic, when I was looking for a creative outlet to produce something uh, that, and a way for me to connect with other people um, and a way to like, get outdoors, um, enjoy the environment, enjoy the fresh air uh, when it's at a time when everyone was cooped up in their apartments. I was able to uh, I was able to start growing peppers at my friend's farm. Um, so it was a daily and weekly trip out to his farm where I would you know, enjoy the fresh air, enjoy the peppers, um, enjoyed growing the peppers. And I was able to create uh, six different flavors um, that I launched in December 2021. And I have three of those flavors in front of me. I have pineapple mango. I have old hickory. And I have Chipotle, which from my experience was the spiciest of, of the three that I have. I mean, I have, I have all six in the fridge um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to uh, eat this, eat these while, while talking to you. Um, let me ask you what, what exactly motivated you to start to get into uh, creating hot sauce uh, or rather creating a hot sauce company? I know there's over 350 hot sauce companies across the United States and, and that number is kind of increasing. So what are the inspirations for you to start this kind of company? I think mainly my passion for food and specifically spicy food gave me the, the necessary kind of drive to move forward with the hot sauce company. Um, I love putting hot sauce on my own food. Um, and I created these flavors really for myself uh, during the pandemic before I even knew I was um, going to sell them to anyone. I, I just produced them and then friends and family were, encouraged me to, you know, start a business and actually um, give these sauces out to everyone else uh, and have everyone else enjoy them as well. So you're speaking about, you're speaking about enjoying hot sauces. What, what do you think just from your sort of experience and from your conversations, I know you've probably had many, why do you think people enjoy uh, spicy food? It's, it comes from a couple of different standpoints. Um, one could be cultural, you know, some cultures have a lot of spicy food, um, so people enjoy it um, because that's what they grew up with. The other is, you know, the actual pain, the actual, the feeling that you get when you eat something spicy, um, the way it makes you feel. Um, and I think that goes along with the psychology of it. And I think that's why we're talking about it here today. Absolutely. So before we actually dive into the psychology and, and feel free to uh, ask a question, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to, I'm going to chomp the, uh, the pineapple mango on right now, as I'm asking you, what exactly differentiates one hot sauce from another? Yeah, there's a lot of different factors. Um, I think it comes down to the varieties of the peppers used, the spice levels, uh, the additional ingredients that you add, whether it be herbs or spices or fruits or vegetables. Um, and then if it's acidified uh, hot sauce or if it's a fermented hot sauce, that will also kind of determine the flavor profile and also the color uh, and the flavor, most importantly, as well. I never thought of coloring as being a factor. 
not yeah. not like artificial coloring, but the natural coloring that a pepper provides because they're so vibrant, these peppers. I mean, you get bright oranges, bright reds, yellows, greens. You can get purple. You can get crazy, crazy colors. And that's what a lot of like small hot sauce craft uh, hot sauce makers are kind of doing now is creating hot sauces with these very uh, obscure varieties of peppers uh, that no one really uses. And the mainstream hot sauce industry doesn't use, you know, um, they have cayenne peppers, Tabasco peppers, jalapeno peppers, and that's really it when you when you get a commercial hot sauce. And that's why our, these half-craft hot sauce companies are uh, developing these flavors that people are really interested in because it, it is something different that they can't get on the shelf otherwise. Would you say, and this is probably the only yes or no question I'll ask you, would you say that, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on also pouring this, this is the old hickory. This is the one that I love the taste of this one. Um, would you say that the craft hot sauce, would you say that the craft hot sauce boom is, you know, analogous to the craft beer boom that there's, you know, individuals who are essentially trying their own thing and don't want to have just the, the typical, you know, uh, like corporate beer. I do. Yeah. I think similar to what happened with the craft beer industry is what's happening in the craft hot sauce industry. I think it's still a very new industry. Um, a lot of hot sauce companies have sprang up very, very recently. And there's still, I think, a lot a lot of developments happening in the space, a lot of exciting things, uh, new peppers being formed um, by breeding. That's how the Carolina Reaper was formed, uh, just by everyday individuals um, experimenting on their own. So you mentioned, you mentioned the Carolina Reaper. So at, at this moment in time, that is the spiciest or the hottest pepper according to the Scoville scale, right? Yes, right now that's the hottest tested and verified pepper out there currently, which is a 2.2 million. Right, I mean, it, it really is fascinating. I mean, I, so I know that uh, a lot of this has to do with capsaicin, that the, the compound capsaicin, uh, and that uh, jalapenos have about 2,500 uh, Scoville units, and then, that's and that's low in, in comparison. Right. And then you said how much was the Carolina Reaper? Carolina Reaper goes up to two point two million, so it's a uh, it's much much hotter. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely not an everyday pepper for everyone. So that that's you know the crazy thing is pepper spray. What's used for riot control is often between two and five million Scovilles. So it is. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what kind of pepper spray, obviously. Uh, so people are, are you know, routinely ingesting something that is essentially a weapon, a weapon for riot control. Yeah, it can be poison. It depends on how you look at it. But some people enjoy it um, with their food and just enjoy, just enjoy ingesting pepper spray. It it just makes you marvel at being human, and you know, you you reflect on some of these things. I mean. You know, uh, not to take this very far out, uh, pun you'll see is not really intended. But if if aliens, you know, aliens are in the news a lot lately because of the the government proceedings um, or the court proceedings. But um, if aliens came down and you tried to explain alcohol to them that there is this thing, this this essentially this toxin that we would ingest routinely that would make us behave with less um, w- with with poorer executive functioning uh 
meaning like hypothetical reasoning, all of these things are just hindered and we routinely get into that space, they would be so confused because there's n very few animals that would just routinely poison themselves. Yeah, yeah. like what is with hot yeah. peppers. And you're like, what are you doing? You're, you're eating something that's uh, causing you stomach right. pain and, and vomiting. I mean, it, it actually is hilarious though. Um, do you have, before we continue, do you, do you have any questions? I'm going to start loading up uh, the Chipotle one. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Like what kind of people would want to eat hot peppers? Like, are there certain personality traits that uh, predispose people to liking and enjoying uh, ingesting something that could be uh, potentially a weapon? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, it, it would be essentially the type of people that you would you would expect. These are people who have sort of adventure-seeking traits. People who have uh, a trait of openness. Who have, um, you know, who would be called adrenaline junkies. Uh, they're they're people who are excited by these things. I mean, uh, one of the things that uh, I think is really important is that hot sauce isn't necessarily, or rather, spice isn't registered as taste. It's registered purely as pain mentally right now of, of course with accompanying ingredients it could be delicious but the question is i guess why would anyone <laughs> why would anyone enjoy this right right yeah, yeah. and now, there's a variety of uh, ways in which someone can approach any sort of psychological question with regarding pain as pleasure, there's there's four different ways one can look at it. Neuroanatomically, a lot of the mechanisms that would be in the, we'll call it the circuitry for pleasure, overlap with that of pain. It, a lot of it is the same exact neuroanatomies. And because they are um, overlapping, th there is a potential for them to be triggered simultaneously. This This includes uh, the nucleus accumbens, uh, the prefrontal cortex. These are places that are responsible for not just reward and reflecting, but also um, moving away from something. So avoiding painful stimuli. Um, the, the chemical reason you actually mentioned before, <laughs> when you're in any sort of pain, whether it's an elusive pain or a real pain, your body releases endorphins. And endorphins is a portmanteau. It's when two words kind of combine endogenous, meaning it's created within the body and morphine, which is a painkiller. So you actually get, some people say you get high, um, but you do get a euphoric feeling um, after having that pain. The third is kind of a psychoanalytic reason. We have this kind of, um, this kind of pleasure that we experience when we can distance ourselves from something that hurts us. So uh, this is called hedonic reversal. It's also called uh, uh, benign masochism. And it's the same reason why we watch scary movies or sad movies or go on roller coasters or jump out of an airplane, hopefully with a parachute. The, the idea that we are simulating pain or, or fear or anxiety the second we distance ourselves from it in, in the recognition that it's not real, it's not something that's actually harming us, there is a euphoria that comes from that. And the fourth uh, would be sort of an evolutionary reason. That would ask 
you know, why, why this kind of thing is uh, this experience of, of pain and pleasure being uh, overlapping, why all of these things have continued over uh, this gigantic span of time. And in order to look at anything evolutionarily, you have to look at whether it promotes feeding, fighting, fleeing, or uh, procreating of the individual, a group, a gene, or a, a we'll say physical traits, what are called phenotypes. And the, the prior explanation that it sort of helps us kind of master a fear uh, the fact that these, it's not like we're just eating pure capsaicin, which I think is 15 million Scovilles, but rather we're eating uh, vegetation and, and spices that have other nutrients that, that help us. So we've actually developed a taste for these because it was what would provide us sustenance. So those would be, I guess, the four reasons. You have the neuroanatomical, you have sort of a chemical or hormonal reason. You have a psychoanalytic reason and an evolutionary reason. But it, no matter how much theory you ingest about this kind of stuff, it, it still strikes me as bizarre that that pain can be something that's that's so pleasurable. Yeah, absolutely. It's I've experienced it myself. I mean, eating a hot pepper, you get the heat, you get the pain. But then after that kind of subsides, I think your body's response is to release those endorphins, like you said, and you do start to feel euphoric. Um, and it, like you actually want to continue eating <laughs> that thing that just caused you pain, but now it's making you feel good. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Let me ask you, what is for yourself? Can you tell me a, an experience sort of off the cuff of, um, something spicy that you've had and what that experience was like, excluding your own, your own stuff at Rugged Jack's? No, I think the, the most of experience was just fresh peppers because those are going to have the highest concentration of capsaicin um, and all the oils and are just concentrated inside that pepper. So when you take a bite into a pepper like that, um, I've eaten many. Um, it's one of the reasons I've gotten interested in spicy food. Um, recently, I had a dragon's breath pepper, which is an experimental pepper, which is contesting for hottest pepper. Uh, it's somewhat thought as, as being hotter than the Carolina Reaper at 2.4 million Scovilles. Uh, I did not eat the whole thing, but I did eat halfway through it. And just like I was explaining before, um, you get a sense of euphoria from it. And I, I just enjoyed nibbling on it little by little. And now if you were to take <laughs> and eat the whole thing all at once, then you are kind of in effect shocking your body and that reaction might be a little different. Um, your air, airway might start closing down much quicker because mine did already start closing down just from the little I ate. Um, and you know, you'll start tearing, your stomach will be in pain, uh, you'll start sweating profusely, uh, you're turning red. Some people say, you know, you have smoke coming out of your ears. It's like almost literal. Do you want to talk about how the sort of the process, we can discuss this together, how the process of like spiciness actually works? Yeah, yeah, we definitely can. So we spoke before about capsaicin. So there's really three things you need to know. Well, first, I guess the first thing you need to know, I actually have this queued up. Um, there is more than five senses. You know, you have the, the smell, the sight, uh, touch, hearing, 
and I don't know why I'm missing one, taste, <laughs> the most obvious one. And besides that, you have things like proprioception, sort of your sense of balance, chronoception, which is your sense of time, of course. Uh, and then you have uh, nociception, which is your sense of pain, which can be very different than the tactile from, from touch. So that's, I guess, the first thing that we should know. The second thing is that all of these different types of senses are, they are vulnerable to illusion. You can have, of course, chronoceptive illusions where time seems like it's dilating or going really fast, going really slow. Um, you can, uh, of course, have um, proprioceptive um, illusions. Have you ever been in a wave pool, by the way? Yeah. Like at so you ever been in it for a long time? Then when you get out of it, you feel that sudden undulation. Yeah, that's. I get the same feeling when I'm on my on the boat, and you you know you rock into the waves. You come off after being on the water a couple of days, and yeah, you feel the same thing. Right, right, yeah, that's exactly it. So I mean, we we know that every every sort of illusion, um, sorry, every single sense is uh, predisposed to some sort of illusion. Nociception is the same thing. I mean, you can you can simulate pain, and uh, actually, the, there was this one experiment where I think it was done in in the late nineteen eighties or or early mid nineteen nineties. It's called the rubber band illusion, and what they would basically do is have someone uh, sit at a table, and there would be a prosthetic hand, and it would be a dividing sort of a, a dividing board, and they would have one arm here and the other arm here, and they would have the the band and they would move their arm so it was no longer on the table, the left arm, let's say. And what they would do is they would put a rubber band and snap it a few times against your right hand so you registered what that pain was like. And then they would wind up really, really hard, like they're going to really smack this thing. And people actually felt a glimmer of the pain when it snapped on the rubber band and people flinched, people moved away. Uh, they did other ones without pain where it was just brushing it gently, both hands, and they felt it on their left hand as well. You have things like phantom limb where um, typically uh, veterans have lost a limb and they can actually still feel it. Uh, one soldier actually, in, in one of the things that I've read, um, uh, had a grenade in his hand uh, and it exploded and he still felt his knuckles very tightly gripping the grenade it was permanently stuck in that sensation despite no longer having a hand um, or wrist or even forearm so nociception is something that uh it just like everything every other sense is is uh capable of illusion so th the way this kind of works so you have approximately ten thousand taste buds uh across your tongue the Capsaicin from the lovely spicy hot sauces that, that you provide and many others provide uh, interacts with the, the taste buds, is registered by the ta uh, taste buds. And then there is this um, protein called TRIPV1. That specific nociceptor is responsible for essentially chemical and thermal pain. There's, there's different types of nociceptors. There's uh, for heat, which uh, it registers at 49 degrees Celsius, which is about 109 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for the Americans. Um, you have a mechanical one. If someone's, you know, twisting your finger really hard, there's a there's a certain point where you start feeling it as pain and it registers everywhere. Uh, and there's a chemical one. Interestingly, cap capsaicin is 
entirely a chemical process. There's no actual fire or heat, obviously, or else you know you would see it. It would be like a cigarette uh, on your tongue. You would you would see you you would be basically you'd have ash in your mouth. Um, so it's entirely uh, an illusion. I mean, the the process is is actually fascinating. And uh, do you do you drink seltzer or sparkling water? Yeah. You ever have something that's really carbonated and it like kind of burns? Hmm. I don't know if I've had that feeling. Yeah. So some sometimes extremely carbonated drinks will will cause like a burning sensation. That's the same exact process that capsaicin, or, or very very close. I mean, it is the same. It's still trip B one. And what happens is when the trip B one is essentially activated, it starts sending signals. Uh, to different neurotransmitters, uh, specifically glutamate, which basically is telling you that you're in pain, and acetylcholine, which is responsible for sort of uh, autonomic uh, responses. So your heart rate might start going up, start sweating, and it goes up sort of the cranial nerves up into these different parts of the brain that essentially signal that you, you're being you're being attacked, that you're in pain, but also to the prefrontal cortex which is responsible for all sorts of executive functions. I mean, we're still trying to figure out uh, what executive functions means. That's a separate subject. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, uh, the idea is that you are thinking about what just happened. You're reflecting on it. Are you actually on fire? No, you're not. And that's essentially when you get that euphoric release, that, that recognition that you're not actually in pain, that this is an elusive experience that you're benignly masochistic self has once again endured so that that's basically the process it's entirely elusive it's entirely an illusion yeah it makes me think if there's a way to like bypass that <laughs> that kind of response by your body to just i don't know trick it back into thinking that it's not spicy oh absolutely absolutely i mean you could do two things one you can cut off any sort of part of that equation um and you can actually you can hinder that effect. So some people can't have spicy food, right? Some people just can't do it. They they have what's like like a jalapeno, uh, mm -hmm. which is jalapenos are what twenty five hundred scoville. Yeah, between twenty five hundred and eight thousand. Okay, it's a range so, depending on where the peppers are grown and everything like that. So let's say they have like the lightest the the lightest part of that that spectrum, and for them it's still hot. They might be very. Um, uh, sensitive. They're, they're, they might be very sensitive in the trip V1 receptors, whereas some people might uh, not be. They might not be as sensitive. They might not have as many of those receptors or something else in that process might be marred. For example, cigarette smokers, people who chew tobacco, people who, I guess, even eat a lot of fatty foods that lines the taste buds, that it makes it so that there's a, a almost like a fuzziness in that step one. If step one is the um, the hot sauce essentially sliding across your tongue, so there's a lot of different things that can sort of uh, affect that process. Yeah, and you can also increase your tolerance for spice by eating more spicy things more regularly, which will then not activate those pain receptors as quickly as if they would have you know prior. So that's another way. Which is also, uh, that's also an evolutionary process. The fact that our bodies sort of adapt to the food that we're eating, even if it's pain that <laughs> we're adapting to. Mm -hmm. And it's what makes that even more remarkable is that the, the medium, the medium through which we're doing this, 
that the taste buds and all all of these these the the cells on our tongue replace every two and a half weeks so th these are these are very short lasting conveyors of information in in that in that process so that makes it even more impressive as opposed to some of the cells the the fat cells around your stomach which have a some of them last more than seven years which right. obviously sucks uh, until you realize why that you know why that exists to keep us alive during starvation or during times in which we are close to starvation at least um, so it, our adaptive uh, ability is is remarkable. Impressive. It's good to know. And even even uh, this is this is more speculation. I mean, some anthropologists believe it's set in stone, but even our ability to discriminate between different colors, uh, they believe that that has that sort of trichromatic ability that we have has. Um, uh, been an adaptation to discriminate between different uh, fruits, vegetables, peppers that we were increasingly ingesting. So this this is something that anthropologists are are some anthropologists are swearing by. I don't understand that. Why? What would it be about because, the colors that would allow us? Well, because to... you need to discriminate between. Let's say there's a purple, uh, uh, this is going to sound like a t tongue twister. Let's say there's a pink pepper and a purple pepper, okay? And the, the very slight difference in the coloring is the biggest actual difference. Maybe they, they're, they're shaped similarly. Um, the size is essentially similar. Mm -hmm. But one of them is poisonous and one of them is not. Those that those that could not differentiate between them and ate them would die off. They would not pass their, their genetic material to the next, um, next line in the lineage. Those who could discriminate uh, between them or differentiate between them would continue ingesting them and would create a new generation that would have essentially that trait, whether most likely uh, a, a series of genes to be able to discriminate that. I understand now. So it's just that if two, if it's the same vegetable and there's two of this, like very slightly same color, not that if you know one is purple, one is orange. So if they're both purple or just very slightly different shade, we're able to visualize and tell the difference between the, the one that's edible and the one that's not edible. Right, Understood. and not just not edible, but poisonous. We'll 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 kill you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it is. I mean, it is interesting, like the decisions we make, you know, and and what it takes for us to live, what it takes for us to survive, and you know, and now we, now we we make things with these, or or you make things, you make <laughs> these things. Uh, what what exactly? Let me ask you. What, what exactly did it take? What what did it take for you to sort of create a hot sauce company this is less psychological i mean perhaps everything's psychological but this is more of an entrepreneurial question what exactly was the were like the methods to start rugged jacks <laughs> there's a lot of uh, mad methods that I implemented uh, i mean it stemmed from the peppers right so i grew the peppers and i had all these peppers in my hands and i had to do something with them so i got into the kitchen started experimenting with the flavors and once i like had a good lineup like once i had three or four flavors developed and i was enjoying them myself i was like 
okay, I can you know make this into a business. And I had been looking for a business to start and I kind of evaluated myself and said, what am I passionate about? And this was just staring me right in the eyes. And it's just something that I really enjoyed and I had passion for. So I thought that I can move forward with it. And, you know, then I had to figure out what am I going to call it? Um, what is my branding going to be? How am I going to market it? Um, figure out, you know, how to make a website and how to get a trademark and uh, how to source the peppers eventually and where to source the bottles and the caps and where am I going to produce this stuff? And, you know, where am I, who am I going to sell it to? Was um, it a lot of trial and error? For the sauces, some came about right away. I hit it on the first try. Some took a little more developing, like the hickory. So the hickory is definitely one that I appreciate one of the most. Um, so that one, that one was one that took a little more work? Yeah, that one, just something with the jalapeno by itself when you cook it, kind of turns like this unattractive brown color. And the flavor isn't as good as a fresh jalapeno at all. Uh, the flavor gets, I don't know, it just, it doesn't taste good. I'm not gonna lie. The old hickory, the old hickory this is gonna sound like a commercial. Um, the old hickory is so good on burgers. Yes, like it's a such a good taste on hamburgers. Yes, so, that's what I'm having right now. So not burgers, unfortunately. Yeah, I could have just boiled the peppers. So I, I was like, all right, let me try smoking them. Smoked them with a bunch of different woods, and I landed on the hickory wood, uh, which I thought paired really well with the jalapeno flavor. Um. And then the rest of the ingredients, uh, like apples and apple cider vinegar that went in there, just complemented each other really well. Uh, when you when you are doing this, are you the sole taste tester? Yeah, so that was something I had thought about. I've always been the taste tester in my house, right? So like my mom would make a batch of something and she'd always come to me, what does it need? And... We would kind of she would always consult me and say, "Yeah, it needs a little more lemon, a little more salt." Wait, she would say, "She would say, what does it need?" What does it need? Yeah, that's such an intelligently worded question <laughs> because it's not like, "What do you think?" or "Or do you like it?" or "Do you not like it?" It's it's what does it need? It, it it's assuming automatically that that it is incomplete and you are now the one with the keys to move it in whatever direction <laughs> that you want. That's genius. Yeah, so that's how I grew up. Um, Mama, and, Mama Jacks. Cheers yeah. to Mama Jacks. So, yeah. And uh, not to say, you know, did the same thing my dad. They're both great, great cooks. And that's kind of what inspired me as well to, in food. And that's what inspired me to enjoy food. And um, we always enjoyed meals together. It was always our family time. Sit down together in front of a delicious meal. Um and just you know, have our family time um, over a nice meal. Have you ever had one of your own hot sauces and asked yourself, what does it need? And looked in the <laughs> mirror and said, pain, <laughs> more pain. Yes, I have. Really? It's, uh, I'm working on it because now that my tolerance has increased, I'm looking for more pain. Right. But you also don't want to get, I mean, if you're so tolerant that you develop like a superhuman, you know, uh, hot sauce receptivity or rather um, in, endurance or, or resistance. And then just your average Joe chomps down on the nuclear waste that you've created and you're, you're, you're chewing on it. You're licking your fingers. Everything's fine. 
and there, you know, they get a dab of it on their tongue and it rips right through them. You know, you got to be got to be careful about that, right? Obviously, you're not going to market it towards everyone. And, you know, that's why my first lineup that I came out with, I wanted everyone to be able to enjoy it. So I kept it at that mild, medium, medium hot level where it's not too hot, just enough kick that I thought everyone would be able to have it and, you know, still be enjoyable, even to myself. Um, but there are definitely those hotheads out there that can handle way hotter than I can. Uh, you know, like you have these people who are entering into hot pepper eating competitions. They're doing these death wing challenges. Um, you know, the last, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, yeah, the last dab. Yeah, with, uh, um, what's his name? Sean Evans. Sean Evans, who has the show Hot Ones, which yeah, great called, show. Excellent interviewer. Yeah, it's called Last Dab. It's uh, from the show Hot Ones. Uh, with Sean Evans, where they interview people, uh, and there's a a lineup of hot wings where, with each hot wing, the sauce gets hotter as you go, and the questions get hotter. I'm just glad I don't have the bomb here. The bomb, that's what it's called. Because I hear it's I hear it's actually the the taste is also a part of the difficulty. Yeah, these uh, there's a bunch of these challenges, and people really enjoy them, and it's like a Fad. Now, did you did you have to use uh, such a handsome person? Is this not creating <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's the word unrealistic uh, <laughs> standards of beauty? You saw yourself in the mirror and you were like, "That, that's it." I was like, "What does it need?" And I was like, "You know, I just looked in the mirror. And I was like, that's it.' You know, it needs me." <laughs> <laughs> no, let me I'm... let me ask you. Let me ask you, uh, what if if there's something we haven't sort of touched upon regarding hot sauces or spiciness or or anything of that sort um, that that you know you could sort of provide us with maybe a, a fun fact, a tidbit, or whatever? Um, what what would you say? Yeah, I think we touched on a couple of things. There's definitely a lot more. I would say the health benefits of hot sauce uh, aren't really well known. Um, the capsaicin is, has been linked to potential health benefits, um, such as boosting metabolism, um, improving digestion, uh, anti-inflammatory effects, and that's why it's, yeah, it's, it's good for your health. You know, I think more people need to understand and, and know that. And also, just peppers by themselves have very high levels of vitamin C. So mm -hmm. in addition to the capsaicin being a antibacterial kind of compound. Uh, there's also the added benefit of the vitamin C um, preventing illness and disease. And you've mentioned before uh, capsaicin in a much in a in a different presentation, topical, uh, has been used um, to essentially to relieve uh, muscle, not just muscle pain. Um, but it could be uh, pain in your bones, po uh, pain in your, your ligaments, in your joints. Yes. So there are capsaicin creams out there. You can go to CVS or Rite Aid or Walgreens, whatever, and pick up a capsaicin cream. And people would apply that to an area that is in pain. Um, Do not eat the cream. <laughs> don't eat the cream. Um, so, yeah, you apply that cream on there and it kind of... I guess oversensitizes, not oversensitizes, but. Well, it, it desensitizes uh, eventually. Well, because it's anti-inflammatory. It, it actually 
it makes it so you you are sensing the pain less. I mean, it's not it's not uh, you know it's not like morphine or a a extremely powerful thing like um, oxycotton or any of these opioids, but it is something to relieve acute pain. Yeah. I know I know it decreases uh, substance P, which is another sort of uh, neurotransmitter responsible for uh, the sensing of pain, but that might be a, a secondary process. Uh, the topical capsaicin. It, it really is. It's, it's just amazing that. Yeah, no, that... and I want to do more research on that because, like I said, I think capsaicin, like we haven't really understood, I don't think we were understanding everything that this compound can do. Um, the trippy ones, the trip V ones that you were talking about previously was just recently discovered. Um, so it's, it's something new, and I think there's a lot more to be found. And that's why I like the space and. You know, researching and I don't want to stop at hot sauce. Um, and you know, since I'm growing peppers anyway, I could potentially make my own capsaicin cream, you know, or I can make my own pepper spray. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely can. That, that's amazing. You, you, you developed like this empire of capsaicin. <laughs> Someone walks in when they, they don't have a key card and a little spray of a nice 5 million, uh, Scoville. <laughs> Again, it, it, it really is the coolest thing that a lot of a lot of these sensations, a lot of these experiences are again more or less elusive. I mean, you could say that with anything. Sight, I mean, the visible wavelength uh, of of light uh, is is gargantuan, and we receive less than one percent, or we can perceive less than one percent of that light. Uh, it, it just it, it is incredible that even in the sense that we rely on the most with with vision, we still don't see everything and the same could be obviously said with uh senses that we use less predominantly like the nociceptors it'll be fascinating if we can figure out how for example uh mintiness uh if you have a mint the trip v1 is actually inhibited and another protein is increased it's called trip m8 uh is increased and that's the sensation of cold that you get it would be fascinating to try and figure out the different ways in which these things can be activated or decreased if, let us say, you um, are in an environment where the only food you have is extremely hot uh, peppers. Would there be some sort of pill or uh, process that would make it so your trip V1 receptors are are weaker or that you don't have as many or something in that chain inhibited something in that chain of command because again it's not just the taste buds it's not just the capsaicin it's not just trip v1 it's not just your cranial nerves you know is a huge process Uh, and then the reflection afterwards which which actually changes the process afterwards because obviously you know your memories are always colored by the emotionality of it um so yeah, I mean, it'll be, this is something, like you said, this is recently discovered. So um, yeah, I mean, we can now have people hear music without any sort of vibrations using sort of electrodes. We can simulate, or, or rather we can sense or guess people's dreams based on uh, fMRIs, the, the brain uh, patterns, as long as we've had them look at pictures and we registered what it looks like. So I don't think we're too far away from being able to simulate the already simulation of spicy pain. Yeah. Did you say mint 
decreases the trip v1 and increases the m8 or whatever trip m8 yeah so inhibits trip v1 and increases um uh trip m8 whereas wasabi which has a uh, isothiocyanate uh carbonation like really really seltzery sparkling water um obviously capsaicin these trigger uh, trigger <laughs> they trigger <laughs> they, they trigger <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, they, they trigger uh your your uh, nociceptors specifically for chemical pain i'm using that in everyday speech now um and again one more thing one more thing that's fascinating is like i i don't you can't maybe tell but i'm sweating right now and i'm sweating again because of this elusive process is it from the hot sauce oh yeah no it's definitely it's definitely from the hot sauce this is a different type of sweating right this is like a panic sweating this is like a, i'm being attacked but from the inside type uh because i haven't had any of my delicious almond milk <laughs> Yeah, and uh, that's good that you have that standing by. Do you want to tell us how people can, you know, find your product, can find you if they have questions for you, or if they just want to know more about Rugged Jacks? Yeah, sure. So I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. You can look me up there, direct message me right there. I have a website that you can go to. It's ruggedjacks.com. And you can find my full lineup of hot sauces right there. Um place an order, I ship to all 50 states, and you know, shoot me a message if you want to talk. Um, always available. And your handle on Instagram is Rugged Jacks. Rugged Jacks Hot Sauce. Beautiful. Beautiful. Jack, thank you so much for taking this time to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure is mine.